Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and Living Local. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS, and I'd like to introduce our host of Business Talk. He's the editor and associate publisher of Business West. Here's George O'Brien. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Talk. We have a great show for you today. We have with us Mark Melnick. He is the Director of Economic and Public Policy Research at UMass Donahue Institute in Amherst. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, We appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, We haven't had anybody from the Donahue Institute on before and uh, uh, looking forward to what we can do today. Uh, I want you to start by telling us a little bit about the Donahue Institute, your work with it, and and then I want to quickly segue into how you had a lot of uh, additional work during uh, COVID. You've you've added a number of projects to your portfolio. Uh, And then I want to move quickly from that into some talk about the economy and the recovery and, uh, you know, from your seat, what you're seeing going on and what you project for the last three quarters of uh, 2021 and beyond. But start first with the Dunahue Institute. I'm very impressed with the work that you do there. Talk, Talk with us about it. Great, great. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, so the Donahue Institute is a a civic engagement, social service, and economic development arm for UMass. Uh, The Institute's been around for 50 years. We're actually celebrating our 50th 50th anniversary here in 2021. But uh, with our charge of social service, economic development, and community engagement, the organization touches a lot of different aspects of uh, civic life in Massachusetts, New England, national, and even through some international programs. Uh, we have nine business units that do things uh, like early childhood education and Head Start, um, job training for disconnected adults, um, and, uh, and even a, a civic learning program with uh, exchanges from students around the world. Um, the group that I lead, Economic and Public Policy Research, operates as a kind of consulting think tank that focuses on all manners of demographic, labor market, economic, and other kinds of public policy analyses. And we do that kind of work with state and municipal governments, regional planning agencies, nonprofits, and so on. You know, a big part of the way I I think about our work is we try to bring academic expertise and methods to real world social problems so that we can help advise you know, broad public policy discussion uh, as it relates to our clients. And and again, a lot of it uh, is in Massachusetts, though we work in other places. And then one related element to that is um, we produce a journal twice a year called Mass Benchmarks, which does a, uh, which looks at the uh, Massachusetts economy uh, from a public policy perspective. So we, we, we take academic analysis around the economy, but then try to package it in ways that are accessible for the media, for public policy purveyors, for economic development directors, and, and those kinds of folks. So your group is, is project-oriented. What are the, some of the projects you've been working on recently? I know, like I said, that COVID has definitely uh, brought some new opportunities, uh, some new projects for you. Sure. Yeah. So, so we do. We are very we're project oriented and uh, work with a wide variety of clients. A couple of the big pieces that are a part of our work on a regular basis, and then I'll dig into some of the new COVID things. Um, we work directly with the Secretary of the Commonwealth uh, to help all the cities and towns prepare for the census enumeration. 
Uh, and so we've been working closely with uh, Secretary Galvin's office right now on those issues uh, to make sure that Massachusetts has the most accurate and full count possible. And, and as you know, uh, that's an important part for federal funding and congressional representation for the state going ahead. We also take that expertise and develop a population projection uh, that are based on those census numbers going ahead. And those projections have been used in a wide variety of analyses for folks like MassDOT, the Mass School Building Authority, and so on for understanding where the population trends of the state are going over the next 10 or 20 years. Just so uh, our readers will, our listeners will know, what, what are the projections for the population in this state? A lot of states have been losing population. Some states have been gaining. I believe we're in the losing but almost holding steady category. Is that right? Yeah. So this most recent year, Massachusetts actually lost population from 2019 to 2020. It was mainly a flat count, but it was a, a slight downtick. Um, but I would say over the last decade, Massachusetts has actually been gaining population in a pretty robust way. It's the fastest growing state in the Northeast. And while we lag slightly behind the U.S. in terms of population growth, uh, I think over the last decade, the U.S. has grown 6.7 percent. Mass has grown 5.3. Uh, we, we're like double the population growth out of most of the states uh, in the Northeast. A, a big driver of population growth in Massachusetts over the last you know, 20 years has been the growth of the foreign-born population. In fact, without the gains in foreign-born residents, Massachusetts would have lost population since 2000. And foreign-born residents account for about 80% of the labor force growth in Massachusetts since 1990. Uh, Mass has been, uh, we, we have a pretty bi a bimodal uh, distribution when it comes to educational attainment in our foreign-born. Sometimes there's a stereotype of, you know, uh, low skill, you know, immigrants that are, you know, you know, obviously we don't have like uh, farms in big, big ways, but it's like people who are picking fruit or cleaning buildings. And, and that is certainly part of our foreign born population in mass. But there is also because of our colleges and universities and our knowledge based industries, a really high concentration of high skill immigrants who are working in things like life sciences and, and so on. So that's been a big driver of our growth over the last uh, 20 years. I, did, I didn't want to talk about a whole lot about this, but this is uh, interesting. Uh, you don't break those statistics down by portion of the state, do you? Do you talk mostly about uh, the state as a whole? Out here in Western Mass, we have a lot of communities that are, are, are aging. Their populations are getting older and their populations are getting yeah. smaller. Can you segregate? this part sure, of the state sure. from the rest of the state and maybe give us an indication of what's happening here? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's interesting because I, I give a roadshow actually on the Massachusetts economy for presentations with, with different chambers and, and so on. And I'll, I'll lead often with, hey, the state's been growing demographically or economically, but, but there is a distinct regional difference, right? And what we've seen over the last 20 years and last decade in particular is that, excuse me, population and economic growth has been pretty concentrated in the eastern part of the state, in greater Boston and Suffolk County, Middlesex County have been huge drivers of population and economic growth. In terms of the West, uh, we're seeing pretty lagged uh, population growth. And in particular, when we think of Berkshire County and Franklin County, 
those are two parts of the state where we actually had slight uh, population decline in Franklin uh, and Berkshires have been quite flat. Hamden and Hampshire County have been growing, although not as robust as the eastern part of the state. Part of this is tied to the exact point you were making before about uh, some parts of the state being older. Franklin County is among uh, Franklin County is one of the older counties of the state. Uh, Barnstable being the oldest down on the Cape. Um, so we do see some um, some uh, population growth challenges when we when we talk about uh, the Pioneer Valley in general. Now that said, um, we do project population growth in the region, but uh, over the next 20 years, but not to the same extent that we are uh, projecting in, in eastern Massachusetts. Interesting. And that growth is to come from where? Well, uh, Hamden County is the most significant uh, in terms of uh, population growth over the next uh, couple of decades. And part of that is because of, of the younger age, or, uh, younger age profile of Hamden County. Uh, also keep in mind that um, you know, that's where most of the larger cities are in Western Mass, and they have a, a large Latinx population, uh, particularly when we talk about Springfield and Holyoke and the, the Puerto Rican populations of those communities. Families tend to be a bit larger uh, within, uh, Latinx, uh, within the Latinx population in Massachusetts, and that group also tends to be younger. So one of the big things in Massachusetts in general is that our, our white population is old. Uh, or, or maybe the better way to say it is our older population tends to be white. Uh, and then when we get into younger populations, those are much more ethnically diverse. So when we think about our ethnically diverse parts of the state, those are the ones that we're expecting more robust population growth in the, in the coming decades. Interesting. This is Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I'm George O'Brien, the editor of Business West magazine. I'm talking with Mark Melnick. He's the director of economic and public policy research at the UMass Donahue Institute in Amherst. Mark, we're happy to have you with us today. We've been talking about uh, the work that the Donahue Institute does and some of the recent uh, demographic trends. Uh, talk. Uh, let's shift and talk uh, briefly about uh, some of the work you've been doing during COVID, which uh, right. eye-opening to some extent uh, and, and, and certainly important for what it's been revealing in terms of right. some of those uh, inequalities that we're seeing in this state. Talk about that a little bit the donahue data dash i believe it's called great great yeah thanks george for for uh, asking about that we're really proud of some of the work we've been doing in, in the COVID space uh one of the things that uh we've done a, a few elements of work specifically in covid uh some of it has been as you noted earlier we do a lot of project-based work with different clients so naturally if we were doing economic and demographic analyses uh there was a lot of turning on a dime to deal with covid related issues um, one thing, though, that we did that was new this year was, you know, trying to do fast analyses. We knew that there was such a real-time concern about what COVID meant to the general population. And so how could we say things quickly that would highlight some of the challenges that we're seeing for the community in general? And that was the Donahue Data Dash that we did, which was uh, kind of born, born out of some you know, quick thinking, really, uh, we, one of our, my staff members had started pulling data on communities in Massachusetts. This is before MassDPH was publishing outbreaks in communities, but it was uh, a friend of hers who was a journalist had called all the largest cities in Massachusetts and said, how much COVID do you have? How much COVID do you have? How much COVID do you have? And as we were looking at it, uh, I was like, wow, you know, the communities with the highest rates 
or all the gateway cities in Massachusetts. It'd be really interesting to compare this with other socioeconomic data to see what we think, you know, what are the correlations here? What are the things that are predictive for an outbreak in a community? So we started playing around with things like uh, overcrowded housing in a community, um, uh, uh, overcrowded housing in a community, uh, frontline workers in a community, percent of the population that were people of color. And, and what we were finding, and we've seen this in other places too, is the ways in which COVID-19 operated as a great revealer of social inequality. Some of the most predictive things about the COVID outbreak in a community were the socioeconomic factors. For example, the, the most uh, predictive element was the amount of uh, overcrowded housing in your community. Uh, and that was more than one person per, per room in your house. And this is revealing because on one hand, it makes sense that a communicable disease, a trans, uh, that can uh, be transmitted through air particles would take place where there was uh, high concentrations of people. There was a lot of news stories about, is this the death of cities and, and this kind of, you know, uh, quick hit, hot take journalism types of things. But when you dug a little bit deeper, it's like, yeah, you know, concentrations in cities matter, but it's really high concentration in overcrowded housing. And that ties back to social class. People are not living in overcrowded housing generally by choice. They're doing it for economic reasons. And which communities were we seeing this uh, significantly? Chelsea, Lawrence, Brockton, these kinds of places with, with low uh, socioeconomic status among its population, low income, lots of multi-generational housing. So in a lot of ways, what we were highlighting there was that COVID-19 was, you know, revealing social inequalities that always existed, but really highlighted the social determinants of health and how race and income interact with life chances and health outcomes. And while we've known this in a lot of different ways in the past, it was pretty unique as it related. Uh, it, was, it was pretty eye-opening as it related to this current crisis. A well, second thing that we're oh god I'm sorry George. Like sorry. I said, it, it eye-opening, probably not surprising in in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, like you said, the, the overcrowded housing you're, you're going to to see uh, higher incidence of COVID in those areas. I, I guess the big question is, what do we do with this data now that we have it? Right. We can, well, who's going to yeah. use this data to to change these e equations, if you will? Right. So there's a couple of things. I mean, in the one is a question of, well, the first little one last comment on that is that what was shocking for me, if not surprising, was to take a, a redlining map from the 1930s and compare it with a, uh, a COVID outbreak map today and see how much those two places still look the same. So the ways in which public policy decisions from 50 years ago were still influencing uh, public health outcomes today uh, was just jarring. And so when it comes to like, what can we do about it? I mean, there's a few things. One is increased housing production, uh, which I think would be, uh, you know, one way of helping to reduce housing costs in general in Massachusetts and to the credit of the Baker administration, state government right now, you know, the housing choice initiative, which has finally passed, it are different ways of trying to help increase housing production in Massachusetts, what I think would help control or, or help reduce some elements of cost. I think the other part too that is critical is like is finding ways to reduce the nimbyism that takes place around Massachusetts that 
reduces housing um, production, particularly in our suburbs and exurbs, because um, one of the things that we see that's been problematic is just the over-concentration of low-income residents uh, and people of color in particular parts of the state. Now, if, if these are places that the you know, population is that anybody wants to live in, of course, that's great. But the problematic thing is that when you have different communities that are, you know, limiting multifamily housing, limiting affordable housing, uh, that naturally leads to um, limited choices for low-income residents uh, where their options can be. So to me, it's a housing production question. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that is important and has been a critical issue for Massachusetts pre-pandemic and, and will be after as well. It's like, well, state's been growing, our housing production has not kept up with demand. And that leads to, you know, just further stretching of household budgets. And even in a place like uh, Western Mass, where population growth isn't as substantial as the eastern part of the state, we still find that uh, the amount of housing burden, which is households spending 30% or more of their income, is elevated in Western Massachusetts. Over 50% of renters in Massachusetts are housing burdened. Uh, and over 56% of Latinx renters in Western Mass are housing burdened. You know, that's a critical issue whenever we experience economic downturn because these are populations that were already vulnerable. So when the economy turns down, uh, you know, these are folks that are, that are one paycheck away from a potential eviction or one paycheck away from missing rent payments and, you know, are not going to easily be able to catch up later. So, you know, I think as a high cost state, housing affordability and housing production are, are some of the core challenges that Massachusetts faces. Okay. Well, we've just got a minute or two left. It's probably not enough time to really dive into what's going to happen with the economy and the recovery, but uh, try very quickly to just talk about sure. what uh, Mass Benchmarks is projecting for the last three quarters of 2021. Sure. So I, I think um, you know, one of the big things about the economy going ahead right now is that we're bullish on uh, economic recovery for Massachusetts in the second half of 2021. Uh, we've anticipated and expected, you know, a, a slow growth scenario through the first half of 2021, um, in part because, and as I've said to others in the past, that this is primarily a public health challenge, uh, you know, intertwined with an economic one. So until people are vaccinated and until people feel safe moving about, you know, to their normal lives, um, we're, we're not going to see full economic recovery. But I am hopeful that by the summer, we'll see a vast majority of Massachusetts residents vaccinated. And we know a lot about COVID now. We did not recognize how much safer being outside was, for example, eating outside. Uh, then uh, we didn't realize that last summer. And I, so I think that those are some activities that we'll, that we'll be able to um, experience this coming summer. I think the stimulus uh, efforts by the federal government are going to be really helpful in floating us through the next couple of months. Um, and, you know, smarter economists than myself uh, have come to uh, similar conclusions. You know, the Fed uh, came out yesterday suggesting that the unemployment rate for the nation will drop to 4.5% by the end of the year and, and suggesting up to 6% GDP growth the rest of the year. That's pretty ambitious and robust. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if, will hit those exact numbers, but I do think there's good reason to think that 
we'll be seeing robust recovery in the second half of the year. And in part, because there is a lot of pent up demand and we saw household savings rates go up. Um, and so I think that as the economy uh, opens back up, that there, there is money to spend and people will be uh, anxious to get back to regular life. Okay. Let's hope that's the case. Uh, like you said, pent up demand, money to spend, uh, $4 trillion was the number that I've heard uh, bandied about out there. So right. hopefully a lot of that will be uh, focused on uh, on spending and getting the economy going. And, and that includes Western Mass. So Mark, I really want to thank you for your time. Uh, you've been very insightful. We'll have you back on soon. Uh, lots to yeah. talk about. We, we barely scratched the surface there. We, we, we can go a lot deeper. So That sounds great. I'd love to do it again, George. Thanks a lot. Okay. We'll have you on soon. Thank you. This has been Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West in partnership with Living Local. I'm George O'Brien, editor of Business West. We'll see you next time.